0: James Bond's voodoo memoir. The Dog predicts the death of Whitney Houston and Richard Burton rocks the 70s all in this 33rd Midnight
1: video with your host, me, Phil Walsh and me, Jim Hall Tonight, we look behind the scenes of Roger Moore's debut Bond with the eyebrow-raising ones on set, Live and Let Diary Norwegian cartoonist
0: Jason presents Heartbreak and Hitchcock with anthropomorphic dogs in Why are you doing
1: this? And we clean off the stylus and dodge those heat rays all while playing air guitar to Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds (coughs)
0: Oh, 33, the show is. And you are? 33. Yes. <laughs> happy
1: birthday to us. This is a, It's been a year since we first recorded.
0: Yeah.
1: Or we'll sort of got, a, got anything out eventually once you'd figured out how to do all this technical jargon. Yeah. Which is appropriate because we've just spent the last 20 minutes trying to get your computer to work. I <laughs>
0: have a backup, don't worry.
1: And happy birthday to you, which was two days ago, wasn't it? It
0: Friday. was, it was Friday. And yeah. you are now? 33.
1: Same age as Jesus when it all went pear-shaped Poor guy Well, it's Easter Sunday as we record I well, you get a lot of chocolate then Yeah <laughs> 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 Always no. look on the bright side we, of the way As Graham a, Chapman said uh, Yes, indeed we, uh, we had a good time last Saturday Yeah, Went out for a few beers I didn't get in till three in the morning
0: I got in at three in the morning But it did take me two and a half hours to get home Yeah, i set off later than you
1: <laughs> But when you got home, everything was okay
0: Apart from vomiting vodka and uh, Guinness all over my bed, much of the uh, and your wife, the shotgun and kind of my wife, yeah,
1: <laughs> really the shotgun, yeah. But you know,
0: these things happen when you turn thirty-three. You can't handle it anymore. <laughs> it's only once. You know more than me. Uh,
1: still, it's our birthday. It was your birthday, so I got you a little something.
0: Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Is it? It's not the Liquid Sky soundtrack on vinyl, is it?
1: No, but bearing that in mind. <laughs> because I, wow. I was listening back to that it took me so long to get the wrapping paper off that vinyl soundtrack <laughs> you'll forgive me if this isn't quite as fancy wrapped but <laughs> uh, in, uh, in the interest of expediency brilliant There oh, you go mate honoured cheers we haven't seen it yet
0: <laughs> oh my god that's extraordinary it's, it, it, it's, it's Jagger yes. as Cruise framed it's the what it's the running out of luck uh, poster but framed it's amazing I mean how did you come by such a
1: thing there's a magical thing called ebay ah yeah (laughs) sadly because it was a straight to video release there wasn't like a quad poster or anything I could get Ah. but uh I've got to say, that has been hanging up on my wall at home for the last week.
0: <laughs> Just seeing if it works.
1: I was pretending I was you for a little bit. <laughs> it's a little game I play.
0: That is amazing. Oh, thanks, mate. That's fine. That's brilliant. Enjoy. Yeah, well, appreciate that.
1: I hope it doesn't get damaged while you're moving to well, France in a few it months' It is time.
0: white-proof, so I'll... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's protected from me and my son.
1: So, um, our first birthday, which is why tonight we're doing something a little bit different, in the Despite being called Midnight Video, we're not actually going to review any films at all. You may have picked that up from the introduction. <laughs> we're instead going to be skirting around in other media, but in a kind of related way. Anyone who's rolling their eyes, or possibly beating their fists on the Or on turning the, off. <laughs> well, about to. They, they,
0: Tuning in, turning off.
1: Um, no, we are going to be doing something else. Um, show 33 and a third, which will be... Re- uh, we'll, what, we'll probably be releasing that in a few days' time? Yeah. After this one. So keep an eye out for that. For those who just can't sit still without a film review, we are going to be doing a one-off review of that, which is obviously going to be the winner of a David Cronenberg vote from the last show. So The Dead Zone. The Dead Zone. That sounded like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, keep uh, keep your eyes peeled. We'll obviously put a little update out on Facebook or Twitter to let you know. Show 33 and a Third will be out a few days later, and that will be our review of Dead Zone. But now... It's all about show 33. <gasps> and what are we kicking off with?
0: I'm trying to, I'm trying to raise <laughs> one eyebrow. <laughs> okay.
1: Mr. Moore, why do you think you were chosen to play the saint? <sighs> because
0: Sean Connery wasn't available. Bond. James Bond. Not Rufus, Fox. No, not, 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 not uh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, but I love the way that in this uh, book that we're about to review he talks about like really dwelling over the fact that when he was practising to say that immortal line, he just kept saying it as Sean Connery <laughs> 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 which is, you know it, it's, um, it's pithy and that's that's yes. how he is.
1: Before stamping his own brand on it. <laughs> yeah, a first review, review tonight, even though we called it the Livernet Diary earlier on, as weak a pun as you'd probably get in one of these films um, it's Roger Moore as James Bond, I think the book's called. You've it got it is. there.
0: I've got it right in front of me now with the lovely cover. Yep. Shattered glass.
1: Roger Moore as James Bond 007. Roger Moore's own account of filming live and let die with exclusive colour photographs by Louisa Moore and stills from the film. But yeah, um, I thought, well, it would be nice to do something a bit different for this show. So one of the things we're doing, uh, going to be an on-set diary making of a film. I thought in a Coppola's notes on Apocalypse Now have been possibly covered a bit too thoroughly?
0: Maybe not covered, but it's certainly well, so out there in the uh,
1: the ideas sphere. <laughs> um, there was another one that I was keen to use, which I might yeah. mention a bit later on. But anyway, having kind of forced this on you, this is probably the best known film we've ever covered, isn't it?
0: I think so, yeah, apart from maybe Howard
1: the Duck. Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> let, yeah let, let, <laughs> let's forget about that. Let's forget that. Well, Eggs <laughs> on Easter Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find this?
0: Yeah, it was it was very interesting because I didn't know it existed. Um I never really had more down as a kind of person. I can imagine him doing his own um autobiography which well, he has, I, he has
1: obviously with, with the great title uh I can't remember. No, it's that's not, not that's, that's not, not the called. title. <laughs> yeah. Where was I? My word is my bond. <laughs> oh, I should have waited till you're actually swigging some <laughs> at that point. <laughs>
0: I must admit, the first few pages, I struggled to get into it because it is it is literally just like a transcript from someone's diary. And he he reminded me of how, like, Brett Easton Ellis writes, you know, very short sentences.
1: Not the content.
0: <laughs> no, not the content, but the, these short, curt sentences with little quips. Um, as, as he speaks and how, how you um, probably perceive him in um, interviews anyway, once I got into it, his voice started... Um, um, appearing in my ears, and yeah it was it was fascinating and I remember you sending me a text saying that i've just rewatched live and Let die It's quite different after reading the book, and I did the same thing myself and it is actually a very eye opening experience through so the film working process through the main actor, but the fact that he's gone into one of the most iconic roles at the time. There's a lot of pressure on him. There's a lot of mm-hmm. pressure on everyone working on the film. He has this amazing James Bond attitude to it all as well. Yeah, it's sometimes hard to untangle
1: Roger Moore from James Bond. It is, yeah. Or um, Folks, even. Yeah. Oh no, he's very. He's, he's, he's not Rufus Excalibur. Folks, he isn't. The no. There's part of him coming through there, I think. Oh, if we'd done an Onset Diary for North Sea Hijack, <laughs> oh, we wouldn't have been covering this book. No way, no. No, I was surprised to hear that about the first few pages, because I, I, I'd read this before several years back, I mean, I was going through my bookshelf of stuff we could cover, and um, reading this again, um, the first few pages I thought, wow, he's got such a readable style, you know. Oh, like really? you say, your voice appears, his voice appears in your head, and mm. I, yeah, it was that great thing, I thought, he's got a very easy prose style. So much so that I was looking around to see if this had been ghostwritten. Right? Um, There's no proof. I mean, there's the usual thing of um, the thanks at the beginning are, I think, to Cubby Broccoli and some prominent uh, Bond, you know, the the, the filmmakers. Yeah. There are a few names there I didn't recognise. I'm not sure if if it has been ghostwritten. Um, But I did look around again recently um, to see if there's any information on this. And somebody did. I think Roger Moore actually does a Q and A website like once a month he answers this may have been a few years back but someone said why didn't you do any others and he said nobody asked me to <laughs> so, but he did say uh, he found it quite exhausting to have done a day's filming then go back and talk into a dictaphone which which, yeah that sounds a bit more likely mm. um, but yeah no I was glad you you sort of agreed that watching Live and Let Die itself which I'm sure everyone listening to this will have, will have seen at least once uh, the main thing for me, um, that, that technical wise, um, I think we all know that films are shot out of sequence. But I didn't realize quite how out of sequence to the extent that this people will appear. Firm. Yeah, people will appear, appear, film their death scenes, and then a few weeks later they'll meet up again and be introduced. You know, mm. it's, uh, to the extent I had some kind of respect then for the fact that you know actors might seem to have a bit of an easy gig, but it must be quite difficult getting into that. Yeah, because I mean, he didn't speak
0: lines for a good like two weeks, did he? Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a running you, gag you, it. You, Yeah, you have all of the uh, the incredible boat sequences were filmed first, and they were filmed over a long period of three weeks or something yeah, like that, well, wasn't it? The opening
1: of the book is before they're filming; it's just them running through it, mm. not even too thoroughly, just getting a feel of the boats. I think right on those few, first few pages um, there's something goes wrong with the, his boat, his speedboat I think the fuel cuts off Yeah, or uh, well, the so jet,
0: jet boats so yeah, yeah. The, there's a technical issue where y-
1: you always have to have the throttle on, yeah. don't you? So immediately it careers off, wax into a bank and I think he said his knees go <laughs> right off and his teeth feel like they're going to drop out
0: but, Yeah, well I think, doesn't he have dental work? Yes uh, Early on as well
1: So And I think throughout it and I know this is in some of the other Bond films as well he's suffering with kidney stones which I'm, uh, I'm sympathetic <laughs> I've had that myself um, I wasn't playing James Bond at the time <laughs> but this is an odd thing um, with Roger Moore we always do think of him as this quite suave character with a great sense of self mockery mm and throughout this I think he gets that right from the beginning in that there's that like the first few pages he's having some um, health problems some of them self-inflicted mm. I think then a, a little bit later he's annoyed when he wakes up and the hotel staff can't understand that he wants muesli because yes. he needs his daily laxative no it's olbran olbran
0: yeah. sorry yes because <laughs> he's in New Orleans at the time
1: <laughs> yeah getting agitated with breakfast TV it really brings <laughs> things down to a nice level if He feels like someone you'd be quite comfortable having a pint with
0: yeah yeah he totally misses like he's. So English as well, he misses mm. his marmalade and his toast, and he misses his parents. He says, Yeah, stuff. you know, there's something really uh, he's got this sort of British stiff upper lip about him, yet also there's this
1: not childish, but mm. he, he doesn't like to be out of his uh, comfort zone. Yeah, I think he does throw a strop when his hairdresser isn't allowed onto the set, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I think that he hasn't for a
0: few <laughs> weeks, and then he's not allowed to come to Jamaica, he, given
1: he? this is like multi million dollar production <laughs> and like real. Real pinnacle of box office success, and I think there's, they, they argue the toss over how many hairdressers there should be. I think, does he throw his toast at one point? Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that was an odd thing with it. Um, you get, um, even though Kirby Broccoli is kind of one of the most famous figures in the Bond world, he's kind of regarded with some reverence and it seems to be like the guy who really steered it. Here, he's hardly in it at all, is it? It's Harry Saltzman, it's the Saltzman, other producer yeah. who I think dropped out after um, Man with the Golden Gun, the next film. But throughout that, there's a sense that uh, Roger Moore's tongue's only half in his cheek when he's saying, you know, Harry Saltzman, so on record he had huge gambling problems, is possibly the reason he dropped out of the, uh, the partnership. But Roger Moore's saying, you know, whenever they're taking a flight, he instantly pulls down the uh, the table on the back of the seat and is getting a card uh, card game going. <laughs> and Roger Moore's saying, "I'm convinced he's trying to win my wages back <laughs> off me." <laughs> and, uh, it does sound like it.
0: It really does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a few moments where I think he manages to win some back.
1: No, I mean, did you find it a more enjoyable read after that? Yeah, after yeah. His opening a, few.
0: Yeah, the first. I, I did struggle with the opening. I just thought it was a bit too like reading someone's diary, which can be pretty dull and the thing is i've just read this off the back of finishing richard burton's biography by melvin bragg which i've been reading for a long time and i finished last night actually and that was written by like obviously melvin bragg is 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 a good writer you know he knows how to use the language well so it was quite it for me it felt really different but it was in the same kind of sphere but yeah once i got into it i was i was absolutely uh, tearing it up it's amazing as well it's a totally different kind of period of how films were made um, it's more those kind of Hellraiser days, even though he's not a Hellraiser, you know everything's about how much drinks they're having, they're drinking all the time and, and the amount they're drinking I mean he's not even that big a drinker really, no. if you compare to Burton or O'Toole or those <laughs> guys but um, it is astonishing that films could get made I think to some degree and ha- but I suppose all the money was just getting thrown at these at these people and it was the um, I don't know whether it was the producers who worried about it as much as the producers assistants and mm. stuff you know because he did mention at one point you know there's a woman who I think she was like the secretary oh, yes. for Saltzman yeah, yeah. or someone and like she, she was whiter after working in Jamaica for all those like weeks she was whiter than when she actually got yeah. there because she's just inside <laughs> trying to sort out all the <laughs> logistics and stuff and things like that, you know. He, the thing about this book I liked is like he—he's open to everyone who's around him. You yeah. know, he—he's got a good, good word. He's got bad words to say about people, but he—he's
1: very uh, involving. Yeah, he alludes to some people who aren't on the film, but he's come across in the past. Mm. I think doesn't it? Several times, Danny K gets a bit of a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it opens with him. Well, it opens it, on with the plane. him on the plane, and uh, excuse me, the chairs uh, squeaking away there. Um, yeah, it opens with Danny K. He said the Roger Moore's taking the flight. So, oh, you know, Danny K was standing by the air hostesses and miming everything they did with the safety, you know, safety run through it's nice to know he was—he found that kind of uh, behaviour insufferable <laughs> 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 but then you do get odd moments along the way um, out of nowhere he, he comes across famous people and gets to experience some of the, the, the wild side of New Orleans and Jamaica then there's just this really throwaway bit when he says he's, um, he goes off with Jim Garrison who people will know from um, Oliver Stone's film Ken, um, JFK and this is like written in 1973. I think it's, I can assume it's the uh, Abraham Zabruddha film of Kennedy getting his head blown off. Mm. And Moore's sort of alluding to this. He said, Oh, we, we, I saw something that convinced me there wasn't just one. I right, he's yeah. thinking, this is a weird thing to be reading in <laughs> <laughs> of, of a James Bond sort of making of. Mm.
0: Book.
1: Also, it does take you back a little bit um, because of Live and Let Die, which was obviously um, a little bit edgy with the time it was made. Um, there was exploitation cinema, but also, <laughs> oh yes, Yaphet Koto. Black yes. Panthers. Yeah. Phil just did the Black Power salute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you're aware there. They're saying as they film it, they know that um, in *Never Let which is uh, Gloria Hendry, who's uh, who's black black actress, uh, and that they're aware as they're filming it that they can't really have anything too intimate happening between her because certain states in America just will cut it out altogether. It's extraordinary. And I think early on as well, um, Tom Mankiewicz the script writer was quite keen for he was aware that it might look a bit controversial if the villains were all black, so he was quite keen for Solitaire to be played by Diana Ross. That's right, yeah. Which he would have really liked. I think Roger Moore says in the diary as well he'd have liked that, but you can imagine the producers thinking you can't have a Bond film without Bond getting his uh, keeping the British end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Diana Ross's face actually (laughs) and I think I don't think she would have been as passive a character as uh, Jane Jane Seymour Seymour. well actually that's kind of interesting Jane Seymour gets mentioned a lot in it and Mm. Roger Moore seems to like her but nothing like as much as Gloria Hendry oh no no he really (laughs) is going full throttle there and going on about his wife Louisa (laughs) uh She's really not happy with any of this no. at all. <laughs> he seems to revel in it, doesn't <laughs> <Yes>. he? <so. laughs>
0: it's it's just work, dear.
1: <laughs> but then other odd moments, you know, Roger Moore while well, they were in Paris, I think for because none of it's filmed there, but I'm not sure what they're in there for. But he, he goes off to watch Last Tango in Paris. And oh, that's Lovely right, little yeah.
0: moments like that. It yeah, doesn't he call it a blue movie? It? Yeah, it's Marlon a, Brando in
1: a blue movie. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. <laughs> Um, what I will say with this because like I said one of the w- there was another book I kind of suggested we might cover but uh, I, I, I took your uh, your objections into account this was Bob Balaban's diary of making Close Encounters of the Third Kind I was always thinking while reading this part of the effect of this is Roger Moore's obviously the big star of this film and um, you get a sense that he's been shielded from a lot of the more interesting things that might be going on mm. I mean obviously there are he's got some great stories to tell but you get the, thing, the feeling a lot of the better stories that were going on during that production were probably going on somewhere further down the line. Yeah, the Balaban Diary is great because obviously Richard Dreyfuss is the star. He's hanging around a lot at the time with Francois Truffaut, Lance Henriksen, who ultimately gets cut out of the film, actually. But, yeah, he he seems to be a bit more down with it, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I do think he has a better writing style as well. Right. But that's by the by. I well,
0: maybe may, may I'll read yeah. that.
1: Uh, yeah, it might be worth... Because it's it's a slim book, the Balaban one. Yeah. It um, might be worth reading that. And, again, you might see the film in a slightly different light. So, mm. we're not really here to review Live and Let Die the movie, but you did watch it again. I did, yeah. Would it be quite high on your Bond? Oh, yeah, because
0: it's one of the first ones I remember seeing mm. as a kid, so... Yeah, for that reason alone. I mean, A View to the Kill was the first one I saw. Um, what well, that I recall yeah. seeing, and then this shortly after. And uh, always known it anyway, mainly because of the theme tune more than anything. The theme music's fantastic. Yeah, um, as is the
1: soundtrack, which is like George Martin rather than yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, it's, John
0: Barry. It's good. I mean, like I say. You know, after watching it, after reading the book, all like, I kept focusing on it and thinking, "Wow, this this was like the the last thing he filmed at the beginning." And I, I was just as it was all yeah. unfolding, I just kept referring back to the book in my mind and uh, all these. Like Incidental moments that were more important, really, yeah. because you knew what was going on behind the scenes, though. It, it really
1: elevates. And I mean, how, it, how an erotic film in the sex scenes must have been. There's yeah. <laughs> I mean, a great one very early yeah. on when he uses his magnetic watch to pull the zip down on the back of Mac- right, Smith's yeah. dress he's saying by the time he's done it for the 20th time his arm's gone dead because there's, there's, him having to do that in time there's someone underneath Madeline Smith's feet with a bit of fish wire pulling the zip from uh, you know and all the bed scenes when the leading ladies are wearing like football socks yeah woolly tights that's lovely but um one thing I really loved here was, um, like you say, Roger Moore had to spend. It was weeks before he got to say his first line as Bond, and it wasn't the first one in the film. It was him as an actor delivering it. And it's something nothing he like. Oh, fancy seeing you here, Felix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watching live that day, the other day, something because there was. You can imagine it's very difficult for us to imagine, but um, that changeover from Sean Connery to Roger Moore. You know, not not to be cruel to George Lazenby, but obviously these were going to be the two icons. Yeah. Um, and there's always from the beginning I think there's the idea Roger Moore was not going to try and imitate Connery he was going to do his own kind of put his own stamp on it and one of his first actual lines in the film is when M turns up at Bond's flat (laughs) Um, M's you know it's like five in the morning M's going on about three of our agents have died in the last 24 hours and he lists them and where in the world they died and Roger Moore's nodding along obviously he's got Madeline Smith in his closet and when he gets to the last one he goes, Oh, I was rather fond of Baines, we shared the same bootmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I think that just absolutely absolutely sums up his approach the to Bond. It. Kind of treating it with the contempt it deserves, really. <laughs> you know, the more I look back on those Conneries, I know he's he's still seen as the iconic Bond. Um, he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> you know, his version. He's more like the
0: book, I suppose
1: he is although again I know you don't like him I think Daniel Craig's done a fantastic job of it he's Mm. much closer to the books whereas someone who's almost got the death wish yeah you know whereas I so enjoy the Roger Moore ones from the 70s you know they they did get well I was saying this is one of the best Bond films for me as good as Spy Love Me is it's kind of pulling out all the stops it has dated a bit whereas Mm. this seems there's almost something about the fact that the villain's plot isn't a hollowed out volcano blowing up the world. It's it's heroin smuggling on a massive scale, but the voodoo elements to it Yeah it seems there's a little there's comedy in it but there's also a kind of weird And the whole
0: exploitation yeah. sort of element to yeah. it as well, you know, it's really like dare I say it, capturing the zeitgeist. Yeah. <laughs> but in a in a way that is actually like lasted, you know, I think it it, it holds it, up better than it does. Yeah. It does a lot a yeah. lot better than most of those preceding bonds.
1: Crocodiles. Cananga <laughs> Yes uh, I mean we're reviewing the book But I, I, I lent Phil um, The DVD of Live and Let Die Don't be subtle with the beer Sorry. openings. It's your birthday <laughs> and everything um, I lent you the DVD of Live and Let Die Which has I think a really good making of documentary It's, it's the sort of thing I love Because it's 20 years or so after the fact People can look back that They can be a little bit uh, more philosophical about things Roger Moore's really great in it, isn't he? He's yeah, a much he's older fantastic. guy, he's not trying to disguise it. Uh but yeah, the, the standout scene in it is the crocodiles. Um, if anyone doesn't know this, uh the villain in the film Even Let Die is um Dr. Kananga, Yafakoto, fantastic Yafakoto. <laughs> uh but they named him after the owner of the crocodile farm where they filmed this famous sequence which in is Jamaica, a, yeah. but it's actually Yeah.
0: Um it's played out in New Orleans isn't yeah. it? it all fits into the whole
1: uh, but, um, Louisiana I, I don't know about you as a kid they always showed that clip on like Saturday morning TV right. and whenever he, when he runs across these crocodiles it always kind of looked a bit fake and I didn't realise they'd done it for real
0: yeah I but mean they tied the crocodiles down they tied them behind the but still
1: the, but still <laughs> they're the real but on the making of they show Kananga's is it four or five attempts doing it which yes. just look absolutely terrifying it's,
0: Whilst he's wearing crocodile skin uh, Gucci shoes. Which, again, we
1: have to yeah salute to Roger Moore for that. He thought it would be a great gag to wear crocodile skin shoes. (laughs) Slick, sold Gucci kind of loafers. When they have to do it for continuity, the guy's wearing the same thing. (laughs) Sliding around on these crocodiles who know he's coming. Yeah.
0: It's phenomenal. The only thing that worried me was how could I say my name is Bond, James Bond, without saying my name is Bond, James Bond. Herzog.
1: Um, Werner Werner Herzog volt, um, had some good responses to that I was a bit worried with this that no clear leader would emerge because he sort of yeah I mean cranking them out would be cruel but he's prolific he is prolific but he's one of those who um,
0: people hold him in high regard yet haven't seen that many of his films mm. And I fall under that umbrella, unfortunately. Um, I own both those amazing box sets that came out uh, a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've only watched a few films off there. And I've watched numerous documentaries he's done. But it was interesting. I, I expected a lot of Fitzcarraldo. And, uh, Didn't get any
1: Fitzcarraldo.
0: We got one. Yeah. Yeah, There was it was kind of neck and neck for a bit. And... It, it's always surprising you know You, you names start popping up yeah, and that's then it's e- one of the great things we
1: do in this you get to sample the mass
0: they do. The, the mass people, of their audience <laughs> yes. people like jump on the bandwagon and then other people take the wheels off and people start drinking on it and people Pe- fall off people start
1: mixing the metaphors yeah. <laughs> anyway kicking off Mark Carroll please discuss Streisand on the show and yes I had to check that spelling eight times and I've probably pronounced it wrong. I was
0: gonna say we we've not checked the pronunciation, but yeah, I think
1: that's what allegedly Ian Curtis was watching when he killed himself, or just a head off. <laughs> I'm not gonna spoil it. Well no, I'm no. gonna spoil it. If only that had won. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you, have you seen Story No, I haven't. Alright, oh, no. The the end the end sequence is possibly something that would make you wanna kill yourself. <laughs> okay and then Jacob
0: oh, by the way these are all from Twitter these, yep. th- this uh, batch uh, my vote via uh, Jacob1751 my vote via poll, Scream of Stone 1991 obscure but memorable with his usual mind bending imagery so obscure that I mentioned this to a lot of people last Saturday mm-hmm. film buffs who'd never heard of it and neither um, had I t-
1: uh, two in particular were telling me that it was awful Oh, okay, I'm not going to take their word for it, right? Especially not considering one of them is Steve Walsh. But you know,
0: <laughs> I've, yeah, I mean, one
1: man's awful is another man's one man's awful. Melanie Griffith, <laughs> <laughs> sleepy cave, hurt sucks. Even dwarf started small seems to be underseen and is properly mental. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> I've not seen all of that, actually. Yeah, I've still got to watch that. I mean, there's the famous clip with the um, the camel. Yeah. <laughs> but also, have you seen Werner Herzog Eats His Own Boot? Yes, shoes. Shoes, yeah. Choose, yeah. yeah. No, the, the, when he's very happily telling the story that at the end of filming he hurled himself into a patch of cacti <laughs> and still has needles embedded in the cartilage around his knee because he wanted to show the dwarves that he understood their plight.
0: <laughs> because that is obviously their plight, isn't it?
1: They they I don't know if they appreciated it. They probably <laughs> just laughed at a carol shit uh, a carol they probably just laughed at a camel shitting itself.
0: <laughs> uh Jack McEnroy, the Enigma of Caspar Hauser, please.
1: Right. This is odd because Jack also then put can everybody on Twitter text Aguirre to midnight video? The so- problem is I
0: made a bit of a full pas there. I said that Voicek and Aguirre were neck and neck it's down to them but I didn't no, someone, mean it in the way that you can only vote for those two I no. was hoping that everyone would let influx with as, like.
1: as we found out with Dead Zone things can change at the last minute can't they, they? Can indeed. in terms of the voting yes. not, not spoiling anything about the film <laughs> the aforementioned Steve Walsh ideally the white diamond but if not then a Geary um, or Scream of Stone <laughs> Mm. <laughs> why would we just? Oh no! Why diamonds are documentaries? No, yeah, this is it with your 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 sort of. Yeah, I you didn't veto documentaries. I'm just trying to. But people think no. I was. This uh, is like they when David I Cameron was. has a pasty tax, and you have to
0: try and <laughs> backtrack on it. That's why I'm eating sausage rolls. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is that what you're doing? <laughs>
0: Uh, the Creeper, Aguirre. That was short and sweet.
1: Yeah, the reason I <laughs> wanted to keep that is... Um, uh, do you know the Marvel Comics character, the The, the creeper, creeper, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's hilarious. <laughs> he's just a man in striped underpants <laughs> who laughs at Will. <laughs> Poor Will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Salt, I'm going to put on a false moustache and vote for Wojciech again. Kinski is ragged in it right at the end of his tether yeah
0: I've got to say that Chris has already you know, voted yeah. um, but I couldn't find that tweet Scottish review of books hi Colin I'd go for unsurprising. I'd go for <laughs> I, I added the unsurprising there I'd go for incident <laughs> in Loch Ness because it's Scottish no he didn't write that i go for Incident at Loch Ness, an enjoyable self-parody and monster movie to boot.
1: Yeah, Colin did mention that a while back, didn't he? Cause I've and never it heard came of up it. on
0: Saturday with Matt Barnett. All right. He mentioned it, Do you know, or maybe it was to me and Jack, his mate, Jack Kirby. Hi, Jack. Uh, we are talking about Herzog movies, and he said, has anyone seen Incident at Loch Ness? Does it exist? Is it real? The movie, that is.
1: <laughs> Would we cover films that don't exist? Who Perish Alright, now he gets on to the long ones. Hans uh, Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> Hansolo Johansson, hi. Cobra Verdi, one that's eluded me for a while. It'd be nice to hear your guys' slash opinions. Also, his last Kinsky movie, the one where their personal spat and Kinski's terrorizing of the cast and crew caused the original cinematographer to walk out on the project, if I remember correctly. Failing that, and vehemently disregarding your call for features preferred, my best fiend is always a good choice. That is such a good Herzog and Kinski primer, isn't it? If there's, it is
0: it's if you've remarkable. just started going
1: out with someone who doesn't really like you, <laughs> sitting through peculiar films all the night, put on that. It starts with um, Kinski in the early seventies as Jesus, yeah, um, on stage. Did uh, with the audience ready to riot <laughs> And one guy nervously getting on stage And saying this isn't what the real Jesus would be like And uh, <laughs> the audience cheering him <laughs> And uh, I think Kinski trying to hit him with a microphone <laughs> And uh, yeah, it gets better after it's that really. No, it's, it's absolutely it's fantastic so Have you seen Cobra Verdi? I haven't, no uh, It's like the best Spaghetti Western you've never seen
0: <laughs> David Hall Hey Dave, happy birthday Belated, but I was there for your original one anyway Verdi gets my vote too. Actually, such a rich body of work. I've still not seen Heart of Glass. How about you guys?
1: No. I remember thinking it was pretty good, but I was watching so much Herzog. Then, like three, you know, I get three of them out and watch them all. They mm. were kind of that's, that's pretty, pretty hardcore. Yeah. But this was right when uh, Big Brother had just started on Channel Four, and I was kind oh. of—I was trying <laughs> yeah. to, you know, g- the thing that I did watch Big Brother to begin with because it was—you um, couldn't have you, there was nothing to talk to people down the pole <laughs> of otherwise. It is new. So I had to kind of bolster things up with some um, some Herzog so on the other the other side. Marnie Shaw, hello, Marnie. Wojciech, uh, because he makes them eat peas.
0: Bird's eye, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll find out. <laughs> Uh, Monozai, it's hard to choose since I enjoyed almost all of his films equally, but I'll have to throw down with The Enigma of Caspar Hauser for now. I thought that was going to get a lot more votes. Yeah, I, again, I haven't seen uh oh, This is just showing me. Have you thing. ever heard of Werner Hertz? Yeah.
1: Michael Dias, or is it Michael We still. I'm go God, on, you've
0: been in point touch point. with him more than oh, me. I've not asked him oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Make sure you edit it this morning. <laughs> Michael Dias I was going to elect for my best fiend but if it has to be a proper film I'll pick Heart of Glass if you stump from Fata Morgana I will eat my shoe see what I did there have you seen Fata Morgana?
0: I have seen Fata Morgana
1: <laughs> Fatima Whitbread
0: Fata Morgana is part of my um, little self-imposed alphabet challenge that I did last year hmm. it was my F obviously that is quite an extraordinary yes, film.
1: Yes, it's, it's a peculiar one. That one.
0: Ten minutes of a plane landing, and
1: well, it's like <laughs> it's stuttering over and over yeah. again, isn't it? And I remember an old couple playing a drum, and
0: oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah when yeah, they're yeah. out in um, the sort of uh, oasis where they're living or whatever in the the club there. Um, I actually really liked it. I had a, I struggled with it, but mm-hmm. it was one of those kind of films sometimes where the struggling pays off. It's. <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect, it's it's way more rich than at the time because you're watching it, thinking like, "What the bloody hell?"
1: Roger Moore should have called his onset diary "The Struggling Pays Off." <laughs> but yeah, no,
0: um, unfortunately, no one, no one else has gone. Thanks,
1: Michael me. or Mickle. I don't. I still don't know how to pronounce your name on. He's afraid. never going to tell us. Mm, I'll ask him directly. <laughs> yeah, I'll be uh, in touch soon,
0: mate. Finally, Nathan, our good mate Nathan, who used to work with. My vote goes to Nosferatu. Hey, I've just realised we've missed another one out here. Have we? Yeah, I can I can squeeze him in as well. My okay. vote is he's, he's reminding me. My vote goes to Nosferatu. I'm sure it won't get that many other votes, but I think it's underrated. I agree. I've seen Nosferatu, and I really love it. Dan Mondo Dan also said Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. He said this in person, but he he did tweet us. As, as, he did as yeah. well. But um, Yeah, Nosferatu, great. Could have a really good triple bill with Murno, um, <laughs> Herzog yeah. and Shadow the Vampire.
1: Oh, I think yeah. I think so, it comes to that exciting point of the show when we announce the results. In third place, joint third place.
0: The Enigma of Kasper Hauser. Yep. Yeah. Cobra cool. Verde. Yeah. And Nosferatu. Okey-dokey. Second. Aguirre. The Wrath of
1: God. But romping <laughs> home. That number one, The pea
0: eating.
1: It's kind of like the artist at the Oscars this year, (laughs) romping home with his head shaved, huffing and puffing. You've not seen it yet, have you? Actually, I haven't seen it. All right, that's that's the kind of the title sequence to it. (laughs) Okay, yeah, it's kind of like a Benny Hill. Oh, he's running through. Yeah, he's
0: He's running through peas. (laughs) (laughs) People get the wrong guy You had a couple
1: of drinks before we started recording. (laughs) <laughs> I'm in,
0: fixated on the bees.
1: In with a bullet at number one,
0: Wojciech Wojcik,
1: yes. So, lucky. which is an opera as well, actually. Mm, I think it's kind of a set text. Um, yeah, in Holland and Germany, I think Germany it's, it's kind of a famous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well done, well done to Kinski and Herzog. Thanks to everybody who voted. Yeah,
0: cheers, guys. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching this because I haven't seen it. It means I'm going to watch
1: more of my Herzog box sets as well. Excellent. And like we say, the winner of the last show's vote, which was uh, David Cronenberg's Dead Zone, we'll be reviewing on show 33 and a third, which you'll we'll be getting a few days after this. But it's time for us to announce what our next show's listener vote's going to be, which, despite the fact we were down the pub for two pints before this, we didn't discuss, but... <laughs> we can do it now. Yeah. I get my we're pretty fly guys. Yeah, pulling up my, um, my spreadsheet. Oh. I'm thinking... You're looking at your Jagger poster <laughs> on a I can't help it Yeah, oh The Carp Go ahead, announce it to the ladies and gentlemen
0: John Carpenter John Carpenter, Presents yes. or we present John Carpenter Yes No, uh, it's got to be a Carp movie
1: The Carp Directed um, Are we going to veto anything? The Thing The Thing, yes, that's been covered far too much we're still waiting for the mondo movies guy, uh, mondo movie guys. To do <laughs> yeah, that.
0: just a little polite reminder there.
1: But <laughs> I'm personally not going to veto Halloween, even though it's like really famous.
0: No, but but it'd be it'd be amazing for uh, Ghosts of Mars
1: to, <laughs> to be or vampires. This show's crying out for some Statham. <laughs> but yeah. um... Yeah, your votes next time. We'll remind you obviously on Facebook and Twitter, but your votes next time for a John Carpenter movie of your choice. They were written to be impossible to reproduce in terms of cinema. And so, why not leave them simply as a comic in the way that they were intended to be? So, next tonight, and in keeping with this special where we're not going to really be covering film, we're doing another medium, which is comics. Yeah. Kind of literature still, but. Films, it's on the printed page. I don't know. It's something else. No, I mean really after um, after oh, yeah, Roger yeah. Moore as
0: James Bond 007. I can't really imagine ago. Roger Moore in a, in
1: a film version of this though. <laughs> um, yeah, um, we're both big comics fans, as, as regular listeners will know. We kind of go on it. We go off onto tangents on that quite a lot. So referenced. yeah, I thought it would be nice to cover a comic and. The one, again, I picked. It sounds like I'm sort of dominating the show <laughs> this week. <Season> uh <laughs> 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 What? Were you doing things you don't remember ever, ever <laughs> having heard of in the first place? No. Um, my pick is Why Are You Doing This? by a Norwegian cartoonist called Jason he has got a second name but I can't pronounce it <laughs> it's one of those crazy things apologies to any It's even written in here um, no, it's it, not there it it's, doesn't even bother it's one of those it things it's quite difficult to look him up on Wikipedia because <laughs> obviously mm. there's so, you know Jason but anyway um, we said at the beginning of the show it's just kind of heartbreaking Hitchcock one of the reasons I picked this is I got it out of the library last year really loved it I wanted to know what your opinion of it was I'll, I'll tell you why I liked it in a while right um It's not as directly involved with film as, like, the Roger Moore on-set diary or a third choice, you know, uh, War of the Worlds. However, I did pick this because it does have a kind of filmic quality to it, and I thought it would be a good comic to cover. It's not very well-known, you know, criminally so, I think. Yeah. Um, It does... Yeah, there's the Hitchcock thing in terms of its plot, but it's one of these great things where it really uses... um, Comic book imagery, you know, it, it uses the, the comic book layout panel. If that's I'm probably rambling already, it uses it in a way, in a very filmic way. Storyboard, storyboard, yeah, I guess. Uh, but it's very difficult me, to read it without thinking of films you've seen, I think. Yeah,
0: well, the, yeah, I mean, the basic setup, we uh, should I explain yes. what it's about. Um, you've got a character who is looking after his. Plants whilst yeah. he's
1: away this Wait a, a minute This is Alex Is this, yeah. this wow. body <laughs> double? By complete coincidence <laughs> Yeah um, Yeah. This is Alex, Alex I mean, All the characters yeah. in this are anthropomorphic animals Most of them are dogs Although we did have a little discussion before There's a possibility they're, the they're are, cats But they're pretty they're pretty are sure dogs. they're dogs yeah, yeah. With the occasional rabbit and crow <laughs> yeah. Thrown in um, But yeah, Alex, this main character Has just been dumped by his girlfriend because she thinks he's boring. I think this is rather than just a usual breakup. It's really making him look back on his whole life. We'll go into that in a bit more detail later. His friend Claude is trying to pull him out of this a bit, but tells him to go off. Um, Claude's going out of town for a while, and he asks Alex to go and look after his flat. And yeah, things get a little Hitchcock or even Body oh. yeah, Double. Uh,
0: yeah, there's a
1: rear window thing. Um, Alex doesn't realise it, but he, he yeah he sees something he shouldn't see, and that's kind of. The story unfolds. without spoiling too much of it yet, yeah, it's an innocent man caught up in something, um, yeah, criminal kind of goings on, uh, out of his depth. It's quite extraordinary
0: because there's, you've got this main character who's in this existential funk, but the whole story is like this really um, bizarre sort of take on life as well. You know, it's it's very existential. The whole thing you can't get away from that. I mean. The, it's obvious from the outset. There's um, Jason has uh, an ulterior motive here about questioning what what are we doing? What's the point of it all? You know, I mean, these are age old questions, anyway. Uh, but he does it in this amazing way, which I refer to storyboards, or if you've ever read any like Herge's Tintins, it's just like that. It's very basically drawn. There's actually quite a lot of this is just. Inane. It, it reminds me very much of the films of stuff like Bellator or Tarkovsky or uh, Jarmusch or Gus Van Sant, right. where you have stuff that's not really pertinent to the story. I mean, actual. You know, he's he's gone into attention and detail to draw frames that don't really have any reference to the whole thing. But the fact that they don't reference anything is part of it all. You know, yeah. there's something like like you say, incredibly filmic about it. But he's doing it in a very tight. Um, how many pages is this? It's like it's not numbered. Th- it's it about 60 or something. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's quite extraordinary. I was blown away. But I've read it about seven times now. Wow. I think
1: because it doesn't take long to read. I mean, no, no. Um, you you could really sit through it in ten minutes or something. However, yeah. it's something that does demand you stop. Like you were saying, there are all these frames where they seem very mundane mm. or inane. Yeah it does demand that you then sit and look and think why has he put this in because the the storytelling is so so stripped down bare bones that you know that every choice he's made has been pertinent you know exactly Um, I was very glad sorry sorry, I was going to say
0: stripped away because it does feel like he's started you know like um, like uh, a carpenter or a mason or someone who started with <laughs> not a John mass. Carpenter. No, <laughs> they've started with a mass and they just mm-hmm. like peeled it back yeah. and back and
1: back until it's, it is the bare, is the, the essence that that's all he's trying to achieve. which is great because it means every frame, like I say, you're looking at and you're not thinking there's anything superfluous mm. there. Um, I was really pleased you mentioned all those directors because there weren't ones that occurred to me. Right, uh, <laughs> like I said, I think it's filmic. There's the obvious Hitchcock thing with the, the innocent guy getting sort of drawn into something. Um, something, you know, out of his depth. The people I was thinking of were more kind of like the Cohen brothers mm-hmm. or uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Very much like it's not American the same as, Yeah, it's not it's not Punch Drunk Love, but it's kind of that thing. And again you um you know uh, it seems slight, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure where to say that. I'm surprised you're saying existential as well. I'm I'm not saying you're wrong, but it no. was um it didn't seem quite as profound as that. It's Oh,
0: it did for me. Yeah. It really like it was like reading like the outsider for the first time again for me. Yeah, it, I mean
1: this this is a pro because I'm, you know, a huge comics fan and one of the reasons I picked this is for many years, I mean, I really wanted comics to break through and be much more accepted in the mainstream. But it does seem if you go into comic shops still the stuff that really sells are superheroes. And obviously now again, talking about films, superheroes are you know, dynamite at the box office mm. and I was thinking that's still the prominent things and why can't comics do films like the Coen Brothers and like you know I think it was actually when bizarrely it was when I was watching There Will Be Blood you know right for some reason I was watching that and thinking actually I remember what I was thinking this might be a bit of a ramble um, I watched There Will Be Blood and really liked it yeah this is a good film this is actually worthy of all this praise that's going on mm-hmm and by the end of it I was thinking that's probably the best film I've seen in years and yet I wasn't (laughs) blown away by it and I was thinking this is what happens when a film, Anderson's a really he's a good filmmaker but I I think that was really competent filmmaking I don't think there's no other director who could have come up with that or that was an unusual talent that I was seeing it was more it was someone who the studios had stepped back and just let him get on with telling his story without a lot of interference Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I get with this, it's If you really have a story to tell and you haven't got the money man over you, um, you're you're able to get on with these things and tell just a really clear story that really gets to the number of the sort of whatever the message was that you wanted to get across. You know, like I said, that's probably going off the. (laughs) That was kind of why I wanted to do this. Yeah, it feels like filmmaking if you didn't have all the pressures of having to go with focus groups and all this kind of right. Okay,
0: yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it's very yeah. the first time I read it, I read it and it came across very much like an indie kind of film almost. You know, even the sort of, uh, there's like references to um, Alex's listening to the Dolly Parton version yes. of um, I And I Will Always Love You. Love you. Yeah. And there's a a spat, be- well it's not a spat, but it's between him and Do you Claude. want to read out the
1: actual, you know, the quote I love?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so he's listening he's like oh is that Dolly Parton I didn't realise she recorded a cover of the Whitney Houston song no it wasn't Dolly Parton who covered a Whitney Houston song it was Whitney Houston who covered a Dolly Parton song Dolly Parton wrote this song Whitney Houston's version is garbage I hope she dies of an overdose <laughs> uh, talk about prescient yeah. <laughs> but yeah I mean like, that. It sort of captures the, the like, almost like Richard Linklater when he mm. was making films early on. You know, there's that sort of, um, what do they call it? Mumblecore. Right. You know, that was that whole genre about um, indie filmmakers over the last 10 years who have fallen into that category. But then it goes into something completely different. This is the beauty of the whole thing, I think, is that it just veers off into so many different. Um, Facets of storytelling yeah. and plot and narrative, and but it always retains this the, the fact that there's these dogs that have no pupils, so they're all like just white-eyed yeah, as well. The, the there's artwork, no emotion yeah. whatsoever, and yet there is, it is, there. yeah, it's Somehow full of it. And this full is what I love because it's uh, pathos. Yeah, as well, for a long though.
1: time, I really hated independent comics where it looked like it was a writer, who, yeah, pretty much wanted to talk about their miserable life. But they didn't really have any skills as a comic artist, which is a big thing for me. If you're going to work in a visual medium, you need to be able to do that properly. The artwork here, as we've said, is very minimal. Um, there's the Hergé thing, yeah. Um, it looks specifically, and actually it was when I was talking to my mate, Dave Hatton, I said, mm. oh, have you read Jason? He said, oh, it's the stuff that looks like really early Disney. And uh, it does, yeah. it's kind of like Steamboat mm. Willie. It was before those with Disney characters became very cute and recognisable. There was that much, the big white eyes. Yeah. You know that, that kind of look of them, and you were saying the, the goofy thing because you weren't sure if they were dogs or cats. Mm. They're just that kind of the mouth and the ears and the yeah. There's a and muzzle things. and yes. like long ears. Although I'm taking it that they're meant to actually be people, aren't they? It's just um, yeah, totally. It, sort of going back to what I was saying earlier. Why don't why don't comics do things like the Coen Brothers and thing? And the, one of the knockout things when I first read this is thinking, yeah, this is how you can do it because a problem if you were doing, even though it's not the Coen Brothers the example I'd use is Glenn, Gary Glenn Ross mm-hmm. great movie I've not seen it for a long time I'd love to see it again actually but with that the the performances in it and the charisma and the there's the charisma of the actors and also the delivery and everything the music all these things will keep an audience absolutely engaged in it and then you've obviously got the brilliant story that goes with it if you did that as a comic you'd just get page after page of people in suits ri- um, sitting down You know, it, there's, if you were turning page to page you wouldn't necessarily think it yeah, would it's your not time visual getting into it, into it. Yeah. Whereas something like this, when they look fun, it, it's got all that kind of nostalgic appeal of reading a, a comic strip in a newspaper or mm. something. And the colours in it, I think, are really great. They're very yeah. bold and vivid. Um, but also, it's it's not something where the artwork has really been laboured over. I think the artwork's brilliant, um, but it's not something you're going to think, gosh, I should really stare at this panel and take in how brilliantly it's been done. No. Like I said, there are panels when you think, why has he just shown the exterior of this shop or a bird flying off or something, you know? But, um, no, th- this it really knocked me out because it made me think you can tell all of those stories you see in film, in comics, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And this is a guy who's really using, like we said earlier, <laughs> pairing it right down. And you could make a film of this, so I don't think it would really work as well as the comic, though. No, There's, there's no. something about those blank panels when... and how quickly... It, the shift between
0: scenes, you know? I think the... the the closest I've ever seen in uh, in film to this is probably something I watched quite recently, actually, is The Illusionist, yeah. the uh, Sylvain Chomay uh, film, which is... Because of par- I've not read any of the... J- I know yeah. you've read of the Jason, but there's a lot less dialogue in these mm-hmm. other ones. There's quite a lot in this, I thought. Um, but with The Illusionist, you have... There's nearly no dialogue for the whole film, but you have these... Yeah, these... Inane moments that they don't really add to the plot or anything, but they're so integral to what's going on. Like Mm -hmm. they 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 create the tone, the atmosphere, the uh, the emotions. They generate the generate the generative um, scenes, which uh, it's very hard to like just describe (laughs) things. But there are, I mean, uh, you know, him trying to get into a flat um, at one point, and you've got. One two three four five six seven like eight eight frames to get into a flat, and when the books so small and the plots so tight, that seems like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. But like you said, exactly, you know, it is important. It invests. It, yeah, it, it's
1: not just telling the story. It does. It does get an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Through. And there's a, without spoiling, there's a great scene in there when um, Alex and another character there's a, there's a there's a girl who sort of takes him in, which is part to, partly to do with the title of the book um they're talking you can tell there's some attraction between them from the beginning, but there's a point when they're talking on a sofa they're about to go to bed, they say good night, then the next panel is the same yeah. panel, but with no dialogue. The panel after that is their dialogue about something like what are you going to do tomorrow or yeah. go and sort this thing out over some shuttered windows, and the next panel is them in bed, and it's like it's so great that in the space of those four panels. You've broken through that flirtation to it actually becoming, you know, um, consummated. Yeah. Whereas even in the most even in a Kubrick film or something, you mm. know, they'd have had to make a big thing of them finally. But there's something almost like harking
0: back to like the silent cinema in that way. You know, the the uh, the economy of it, like yeah. the Harold Lloyd movie. Yeah. When we did um, safety last, safety last. Yeah. You know the 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 necessity to. Keep the narrative flowing mm-hmm. and but you don't need the all those little bits you can you can encapsulate stuff in a few frames within the comic yeah. book or within like a tiny portion of the real like, it's yeah it's just
1: marvelous storytelling like. um again, we're not going to give it away, but the title of the of the book is "Why are you doing this?" which is a line which Alex the main character asks of two characters, and one suggests something very optimistic, the other not even pessimistic it's absolutely <laughs> bleak completely black you know um, Ian Curtis how Mara did Red. you yes how did you find the ending of this because it's uh, it's a you kind it's one of those faintly ambiguous endings I think. Uh, I think I know exactly what it means but well I think it's the obvious one. Yeah. I just think it's really sad I think yeah. what
0: what's being uh, told at the end or yeah. um Related to the audience and the people within within the story is just oh it's so sad it's so unbelievable sad. it's like it is it packs an emotional punch, you know you know you you think about people making three and a half hour long epics or even whole t v series mm-hmm. like this guy's managed to do it in
1: like fifty pages, yeah, and like i say succinctly. I'm not sure how long it would have taken him to physically do it I mean, I imagine making those choices may have taken years, you know, <laughs> of what he puts in. A long time, yeah. You you could actually imagine him doing like a page every couple of hours though in terms of the artwork but, I don't know, I, yeah, again ultimately that doesn't matter, it's getting to the it's getting the right getting it absolutely bang on, isn't it? Yeah, it's it no. I'm, I'm really glad you like this. Yeah, um, no, I can't, I can't wait to read the other stuff. Well, like I say, I got a few more of his um, of his books out of the library the other day. This seems like a bit of a an unusual one. I think most of his stuff are more gag drag driven in fact there was one I was reading last night thinking maybe this would have been more appropriate I'm glad we did this instead but (laughs) he did one called um, we did a few ones you can't get there from here which is about um, a a sort of Igor lab assistant the Frankenstein monster a mad doctor and the Bride of Frankenstein. I think there's a love triangle going on throughout <laughs> <laughs> <all of> that. <laughs> okay. It's much lighter. It's nothing like as as really bang on the money as this, but it's yeah. quite good. It's uh, music, but a lot of that silent and another uh, meow baby, which is more like a series of running gags. Mm. But again, he seems quite taken with like classic horror because that largely features zombies There's a running gag with zombies chasing girls. <laughs> Skeletons leaving their grave to do things in the middle of the night, werewolves, you know, and Elvis. Yeah. (laughs) But it's not in colour, and this kind of makes uh, a big difference, really. I mean, I think the artwork's so bang on here, and the colour really does something. And again, look at, um, because we've got the the comic out here, you know, the colours they've done on the cover, it's just black and kind of, is that the natural colour of the. Page. No, it's kind no, of a cardboard. A, that, that is, yeah. yeah, that is coloured. Then. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you like this. So.
0: Yeah, no, I loved it. I mean, just <laughs> well, I'm more, I'm more happy that you pointed out. So <laughs> yes. I would have gone through my whole life not. And he lives in uh, Montpellier as well, ah, so well. he's going to be a fellow citizen. soon. well, I'm going to be a fellow.
1: Citizen. <laughs> they don't say comic books anymore; they say graphic novels. We had a quick pint before this, as we we may have mentioned a few times. Yeah, I had some
0: horrible. Uh, American beers, not Budweiser or anything like. That, just um, some ales, APA, Morehouse's APA, and a Smutty Nose. Like
1: yeah, we've reviewed Roger Moore's diary, a comic, <laughs> and now American <laughs> Lagers. Um No, there was. Um, you were saying that you'd watched Terminator in the last week.
0: Yes, I did with my wife, who'd never seen it before. Amazing. Weirdly, yeah, she is thirty years old. I don't know how
1: that's happened. But uh, Terminator and, and Terminator Two, or you can't no? Go I there? watched
0: Terminator Two, not that I've uh, within the last year uh, a rewatch and um yeah I, l- I said this to you before you looking up troubled state <laughs> post avatar that film did nothing but annoy me and I think yeah I, it was something that I grew up in awe of it, you know it was the first major Im- impressive cgi movie i mean Lawnmower more man had come up before i think it? Was on just the only the thing
1: prior to this really was um, the abyss, but it wasn't on the same scale.
0: Again, another film which I've watched, tried to watch about eight times, never got there. It's like Suspiria. It's filming. one of those things.
1: Seriously, at the time, you couldn't believe what you were seeing. Right. You know, the effects were so such a leap on from anything.
0: Oh know. right, yeah. yeah. Sorry, uh, Terminator Two was yeah, yeah. but
1: yeah, I. D- it- it
0: instilled such a hatred <laughs> within me because it goes against everything that Terminator does. Ah, right, it's betraying the legacy. Yeah, he. and I've never really clocked onto that before until I've rewatched Terminator. And yeah, it was, it was so disappointing what he does with Schwarzenegger and um, Hamilton as well. Yeah, Terminator really, really pissed me off. <laughs> I really <laughs> dislike it. I really surprised it. to
1: hear this because I. And I've no, seen I that film a like, of like a lot. Yeah,
0: no. Um,
1: but Avatar is a retroactive.
0: Definitely, yeah, that really You're was the beginning. you Cameron's
1: decisions right along the board.
0: Absolutely. Aliens? Yeah. I don't like Aliens anyway. Did you anyway. ever like it? I did when I first watched it as a kid, but Alien 3, Alien are great movies for me. I mean, Alien 3, I genuinely think Alien mm. 3 is a very interesting movie. I think the Vincent Ward one would have been far more interesting, but... What Fincher did with that and the crew and the uh, cast with that, you know, the ideas behind it all is way more interesting than Aliens. Aliens is um, emblematic of the '80s of that period. It, it defines that home. era, yeah. yeah. And that's great, but you know, I can watch any of the film. I could, I'd rather watch an Arnie film, to be honest. Between 1980 and 91 he's golden era Ooh, I, did a, I did a list for this recently so that's
1: why. I know oh, one, 91 would have been the last ones well oh, no, two. 2 was 91 was it Kindergarten Cop that was the oh, last great th- film he did hmm. <laughs> <laughs> for me see me <laughs> yeah
0: boys have a penis girls have a vagina <laughs> I'm the oh, we,
1: missed boy. we missed that from the Roger Moore biography, didn't we? Oh, yeah. When, when his two kids, are, he's, he's got a boy and a girl, and they're arguing about who looks more like Daddy, and eventually the, the boy goes, how can you be like Daddy? You have a hole in your willy.
0: <laughs> but the way that Moore says, like, you know, you, you can't argue with that.
1: <laughs>
0: um, you must have something. There must be something in your... Uh, well, yeah,
1: because something else we mentioned. Awesome. In the last week... Um, you said you've been watching you watch Pulp Fiction and it really it's still holding up for you On my birthday you I'm know? not going to say it's broken I certainly don't have even though I think Tarantino has um, hit the skids as far as I'm concerned
0: mm.
1: I'm not sure it's it's sort of making me dislike because I, I so loved Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction when they came out it's more that I watched those so much when they came out because I'm not sure if people remember this, but when Reservoir Ducks came out, it was a, it was a big deal because it was so violent, allegedly, you know, well, in, in people's perceptions. But it also coincided with um, in in Britain, uh, Jamie Bulger's a young kid who was killed, and the papers very quickly picked up on the kids who killed him uh, had watched of all things, Child's Play three, which yes. I've still never seen, but I imagine <laughs> is quite nothing much. Is that the I'd one
0: with Jennifer Tilly? No, she's in, Chucky, in *Brider is Chucky*. She's yeah, fantastic yeah. in that, as is
1: <laughs> John Waters. Mm. Yeah, um, but it's one of those things. Yeah. Oh, if kids are driven to killing other kids by watching these films, we should ban anything violent. So *Reservoir Dogs* was in this weird thing where it wasn't going to come out on video for about eighteen months or something. So we went to the cinema. This is when I was at college. We went to watch it like every few weeks because we never know when we get to. We never knew when we get to see it again. Mm. So. Um, but recently i tried to sit through reservoir dogs and pulp fiction and sort of failed well something else we were talking about because of the age we're in now it's quite easy to sort of get distracted and go over to your laptop or whatever isn't it is and yeah. think, Oh, what
0: else does that guy do <laughs> yeah. um, I need to tweet about
1: this i
0: need to tell everyone yes. more watching.
1: <laughs> so i'm not going to say those are broken for me certainly i don't think tarantino's done an avatar actually he has i i think his last few films have been absolutely well, red shit that- Inglorious way. way. Oh, I love I love Inglorious Bastard. But no, um, I will try and watch them again. Part of the reason I, I didn't enjoy them so much was I got very old VHS kind of copies of those. And even though it's an odd thing for me to confess to myself, I'm possibly a bit jade, um, jaded now, you know, having having watched so many DVDs and things.
0: Yeah, yeah. The idea
1: of watching something—it's not so much the picture quality; it's the fuzz, it's the hiss on the soundtrack that really mm-hmm. bugs me. Wow, what a place to end. <laughs> Let's go for the grand finale. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. No one could have dreamed we were being scrutinised as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets. And yet, across the gulf of space... Minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this earth with envious eyes, and slowly and surely they drew their plans against us. <laughs>
0: War of the Worlds. War Jeff the Wayne's War of the Worlds the musical. Yeah. Or the musical Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds or Jeff Wayne's musical War of, version, musical you, of you, Jeff yeah. Wayne. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you recommended this, you thought this is something that probably fits within our remit. Uh, yeah. Something that's For, fallen white by over the waist. What idol, was it?
1: When we yeah, it's probably a bit self congratulatory, but we did we did think, you know, it was our first anniversary show. We didn't think we were gonna get this far. Um but we thought we'd do something a bit different for it. But I thought, yeah, when we, we we'll, let's do things in different formats to film. And this just seemed... It was something I was really keen for us to cover anyway. Because we, we, the, the couple of Burtons we've covered already on the show, Bluebeard and Boom, we've really loved. This, I don't know, it, it's kind of one of those things which... At the age I am, I think everybody knows. But I'm a bit concerned it's maybe gone off... Not gone off the radar, but isn't quite as... You know, perennial of favorite. I'm not sure if there's a generation that's maybe missed it or.
0: Well, when you've got like people like Steven Spielberg making, yeah, ninety million dollar movies out of the source material, then this kind of stuff's going to get away I mean, and it, do you want
1: Tim Robbins or Phil it,
0: <laughs> Phil it all the way, all the way. Even though he's like, and I a black Irishman with like the weirdest American accent I've ever heard. <laughs> but yeah, that's by the way, because like. Jesus Christ I was so happy when you mentioned this and then I thought wow we're going to review it and I mentioned to you earlier when we were at the pub I haven't listened to this album for probably best part of 15 years 16
1: years but you've listened to it once again in preparation for
0: the show about 10 times in the last week <laughs> um, I was listening to it just before we met up at the pub earlier I love it I love it so much it, it's it's funny because You talk about films you love through your childhood or books that you grew up with, TV shows, experiences, whatever. War of the Worlds is one of my first vivid memories of being alive, basically. I remember my uncle had the vinyl... And I always saw this record, and I didn't really understand why this wasn't a film. Or yeah, because
1: the, t- the the art on the cover even before you listen, exactly, even and the typeface of the logo is so. But the
0: fact is that also I'd never heard anything like that. Someone narrating and like something, it everything was so filmic about it. He didn't have
1: Rick Wakeman's uh, <laughs> journey to the I center of the no, Earth I didn't know. I didn't No, right. no. Um, he didn't.
0: But um, yeah, when when I heard we were going to be doing this, I got very excited, and the floodgates opened, uh, as in memory floodgates. Like I wasn't crying that much, and um, yeah, it was just pure blast from the past because I owned this. I bought this on vinyl uh, maybe ten years ago or so, and I used to use it when I used to DJ. I used to use Burton's speech at the beginning. No one would have believed because it's really good to use that. Just like that little tiny. Uh, Prologue, and then just like
1: slamming the techno. This is the eve of war, which I think yeah. everyone will know, even if you've not heard the whole album. It, it dun, of, dun, it's, dun. it's a bit of a big, big fave.
0: Exactly, and
1: I think got to. I think there was a remix of it ben in the eighties. Yeah,
0: the, the Dutch guy who, like yeah. Ben Liebrand, was like pretty famous through the eighties yeah. for uh, doing dance. Remixes or versions of stuff, but that's by the way. Well, I mean, what do you
1: think of it? Still oh, amazing. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a similar story to yours. I grew up on this. I remember my friend Mark Lancome This is when I was about nine. Gave me a cassette because I mean we didn't even have a turntable in the oh, house right. till I was about thirteen or I'll something. 12 inch. No, no, he's <laughs> like he was sure we've all got a friend like this the dad has like amazing stereo equipment mm. um it was, a, it was a huge album this is like dark side of the moon or something yeah, it was yeah. a, everyone had it if only to show off what their speakers could do because um, i'm sure you'll have read this i didn't realize this till today but this was the one of the first albums recorded with all 48 tracks yes and yeah sort of, yeah you know it's amazing and the producer went on to do stuff for george michael yes. last <laughs> <laughs> christmas which sounds jason <laughs> sparse that's like CD, two tracks not to the same effect <laughs> But no, yeah, um, I remember this mate at school gave me the tape of this, and it was Christmas 81, which was really snowbound. It was like an amazing Christmas. And um, I remember listening to it every day over the Christmas holidays while sitting at the table in my parents' house drawing pictures of um, Star Wars characters and stuff. <laughs> you know? like. So it's really golden memories for me. Loved it, you know, lost the tape or didn't have anything to play it on. And then, like, a few years back, I... Because, um, like I say, you still do hear... Um, the themes from this mm. all over the place. There's the Eve of War, the famous one which yeah. I was saying to you last week it sounds a little bit like Beethoven's Fifth, doesn't it? Yes, it, yeah, dun, it dun, dun, does. dun, it's kind of... Um, the music's used a lot as sort of background in documentaries and things. I bought it second hand off Amazon, put it on my iPod and and seriously, there were a few times I was listening to it on public transport a few years back when it was almost like there were tears in my eyes. Yes. <laughs> it was something where, and I know, um, know, I saw a documentary when Jeff Wayne um, revisited this to do a big stage show version of it, yep. and he's given some of the background. I think he was saying his dad, who was possibly also in the music business, said, you know, at some point in your life, you're going to have to do the thing. You're not just sort of, you know, you're not just a journeyman. You've got to really sit down and invest all of your energies into this big thing, which is going to be your magnum opus. I don't mm. know use those words, but it feels like that it, you know, it really feels like they've pulled out all the stops and like I say I grew up there's, it's hard to untangle the nostalgia of it but listening to this again 20 odd years 30 odd years after I first heard it and you just think everything about this is fantastic isn't it it, it, it does it's hell for leather it's and astonishing just when one great bit of music ends because they all sort of merge in with each other it's a, it's a whole orchestral movement and even though a lot of the melodies are very simple, the, they then kind of layer on extra little bits. It's obviously this old thing if you can't really describe music verbally. <laughs> it's why no, it's no, music, yeah. but it, there really isn't a death track on this. I, I don't, don't think. think. I don't know about that. Is Forever Autumn not one for you?
0: I love Forever Autumn. <laughs> yeah, um, The only one... Brand New World. Um, it's about ten minutes too long, and it's David Essex trying to get those high oh, yeah. notes and failing really awfully
1: but that's on repeated listening you, do, yeah. you do need that though I mean it's kind of I, I think mm. a lot of people listening to this will be familiar with it the, the only thing for me that is a little bit dreary <laughs> is the opening of side two with um, Dead London but even that's useful because it's kind of weird it's but, a breather and then when you get to fill in it as the preacher you're so happy then when something much more uh, much more dynamic suddenly kicks in
0: well, I think for me, Dead London is one of the best, like the really? highlights personally. Yeah, because there's a few moments in this which, considering it was made in like '78, um, it's not pressing. I mean, they were just doing what they could do with the technology. But in the same way that people like, um, Connie Plank and stuff who were working in Germany and producing people like Bowie and Kahn uh, and Noy in the in the '70s, you know, they were they were. Just trying to push boundaries, mm-hmm. and it sounds futuristic, but it, it really was like what they were yeah. actually doing. You know, the the notions of like the the integration of electronic music with very almost folkish elements is pretty much what like Mike Oldfield was doing with *The uh, Tubular Bells* as well. Yeah, but and this, there's a lot of that crossover. This is it. a
1: lot more dynamic. And I was listening yeah, to yeah. it. I was listening to it before we recorded this, and. um there are bits that do date stamp it. There are a few um, sort of quite discoy bass lines, yeah, this, yeah. Um, which bass I think throughout was Herbie Flowers, who's mm. really celebrated um, session bass man. Worked with Bowie, uh, Lou Reed. He did Walk on the Wild Side. I think he was one of the Wombles as well. Actually, <laughs> there are a little, there are a few things like that. But just the the purity of the intent. If that's not too pretentious a thing, mm. it's not done as a cynical. Oh, this will sell a few copies if we try and make it sound like that other thing in the charts. It really does. Stand alone. Like I say, there's a folk thing. There's a kind of mandolin thing. Yes, thing that yeah, It really yeah. sets it off and always makes me think of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. <laughs> um, Journey of the Sorcerer by the Eagles, you know. Yes, it really, yeah, yeah, It gives it this otherworldly feel. And, yeah, I very much, uh, you know, the, the age I was growing up, you had Star Wars, Blake 7, Doctor Who, quite like to celebrate. But this very much is in that, in 2000 AD, it really seemed like there was so much science fiction had really reached some kind of plateau, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, have you read War of the Worlds?
1: The weird thing is I haven't, no. no I mean, neither I've, um, have I. When I was younger, I I've seen I read the movies, ahead. but... Yeah, um, no, I read... I remember really enjoying Invisible Man as a book, and I remember getting a big, fat book of H.G. Wells' short stories, which most of them are really good. I mean, he's now... Um, I think people know he was possibly a slightly right-wing <laughs> figure. Mm. Uh, with, I think he was a supporter of eugenics, indeed. I, I should have looked this up. I think this is <laughs> meant to be... Um, might be some context sub subtext to uh, world, right. world as well, but you know we're reviewing the Jeff Wayne version, and yeah, no, it it holds up. and It's absolutely fantastic, and it is kind of like a film in that I enjoy it so much. Like I said, when I when I got to hear it again after so many years, it's something I now only try and what, listen to once a year because <laughs> I don't want to break it. It's kind of why we had that preamble about uh, yes yeah. Terminator and Tarantino and stuff it's something like that it's not like other albums when you listen to it again and again it's nice and familiar and cosy you really want to get quite involved with it
0: yeah no I'd, like, every time I've listened to it this week it's the, initially I put it on as background music when I was like going to work the other day but I was just I was totally involved luckily I was going from one end of Victoria Line to the other so I had like <laughs> 35 minutes like uninterrupted and it was just at like six in the morning like when the tube had just opened and you've got all these like zombies walking down and like going to work and it was just really it just really revved me up and then you got Burton Burton's magnificent <laughs> yeah. in this like I mean the the voice I mean Essex does his thing and like Phil <laughs> Phil and it's mental but like Burton really carries it as the narrator or yeah. stroke journalist he's it, he is who he is like you, you can't fault him for that
1: he is there's there's uh, as a, as, a, as a kid, I was always wondering if he'd just done this for the money or something, kind of an Olivier thing. But you do get the sense from that, Richard, but, um, the, the Melvin Bragg, <laughs> the Melvin Hayes biography, <laughs> um, the Melvin Bragg one. He was such a lover of literature and books, wasn't he? It was like he had a mobile... Unbelievable, he, yeah. ...carrying a library around Mobile library, yeah. You can tell he's really into this, and... It's almost, again, kind of going back to the Roger Moore live and let die thing. You're wondering what the production of this was like. Because I mm. don't imagine they were all in a room together. I no don't imagine way. Burton did all no this stuff way. in an afternoon. Yeah. And all these other guys came in later. Because, th- yeah, there are occasional bits of dialogue exchange almost, which yeah. are not very convincing. Really? Yes.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Good laughs> think.
1: <laughs> um but yeah, Burton's great, it, it he doesn't sound cynical. I think Essex kind of works. I mean I was reading today that they're doing a new version with um one of the guys from the Kaiser Chiefs or something as the artilleryman. Yeah, you're shaking your head quite properly.
0: Yeah but then they're getting <laughs> Liam
1: Neeson to take over from Burton, which is <laughs> Who knows what that will be like? I've, I've not read War of the Worlds, but this seems to me like a great truncation of it. It doesn't mm. seem... To, if anything, the only thing that kind of misses is the mention of Carrie, his girlfriend, who yeah. wants to get back to London. Seems a bit sort of shoehorned in, seems a bit sudden.
0: Yeah, I guess, but that's just to get him back to his place so that they can yeah. see the big shit,
1: which is on the front cover. <clears throat> Getting heat raid. Bloody well <laughs> is. <laughs> um, did you read Forever Autumn was originally a jingle... That uh, Jeff Wayne wrote for a Lego advert.
0: I didn't know that. I knew he wrote over 300 jingles, or he was, yeah, he was that was his uh, that, that was his thing. Shtick. Yeah,
1: I don't care about spoilers because I think everyone's heard this. If not, you know the plot of War of the Worlds, the epilogue. <laughs> like I say, I was originally given this as a cassette tape, and it didn't fit on the end. So yeah. it was many years later I heard this little coda they have at the end with um, a NASA mission. Um, going to Mars, and you know, there's the, there's the sort of um, the suggestion there is that Martians have come back. Which
0: yeah. I think that's quite a throwover, more from like um, movies from the 50s and 60s. It, it's, it doesn't bother me.
1: Yeah, no, it's I'm happy to pretend it doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, well, I, to be to be honest, I, I don't actually ever listen to that. I think I mean it plays yeah. out, but I, I kind of
1: automatically turn off in my oh, okay. mind when I'm listening to it. No, cause like I say, I had the cassette, and for me, it always ended a bit abruptly, because it's just like Burton saying, you know, you know everything but right, returning okay. to normal, and then it sort of ended quite suddenly. It does look like it needs something, but, but not that. Not that. Uh, no. Anything else you dislike about it? No, I just think the Brave New World song
0: is like, it's 12 minutes long, and it just keeps on going, and then Burton just says, and then I look down, and, and he d- the gap tunnel, between Which <laughs> was like Ten yards Ten yards Which I could have done In a day it's like Whoa yeah <laughs> You just listen to a crazy man Sing for ten minutes <laughs> And not reach the top notes <laughs>
1: um, For a long time There have been proposals To do this As kind of an animation CGI Have you looked at those? There's a few little demos Up on YouTube
0: No I haven't actually I Are they in the style Of the artists Who did the uh, They are album
1: But it really struck me, it reminded me of that old argument that you shouldn't really have pop videos because it detracts from the image you have in your head of yeah. the song. And watching these, yeah, they were very good renditions of the artwork, but you didn't really need them.
0: Now, the, the, the beauty of this whole album is that it's an album it's all in your head I mean you know everything that's going on there I mean I've, I've, I've had that since I was yeah. like five years old uh, yeah it, it's I first
1: Wells' prose and Burton's delivery of that line which I'll get wrong now but it's when he describes the marsh Martian having slapping its lip oh its yeah mouth. <laughs> leathery kind of uh, a body the size of a bear heaving itself out and it's fantastic
0: yeah because also I mean a lot of people probably have um, the films to convert these two the thing is this still is way better than those films the fact that you can fill in those gaps you know it's something like when we're reviewing jason there you know it's the fact that it can be pared down to the point that your imagination takes over it's when you you want to know more when you're sort of looking at something but you're seeing more than what you're seeing and that's what works so well with this you know it's I I don't mind Spielberg's version I think the uh, 50s version is horrendous I really (laughs) don't like that at all like hovering George uh, tripods (laughs) well they're not even tripods they're just hovering
1: they're probably easier to animate
0: I really 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 hope out of everything we've done over the last year that people go out and listen to this again more than watch all those films we've covered. because I think this is something that probably all the listeners are aware of if they're listening to it maybe let a yeah. little dust settle on. Exactly. Dust it off. Dust down your burden. Yeah. And you can get it out. There's loads of uh, versions of this. Now. You can download it, you buy your CD. You can get Jim's cassette. Yeah, no, we should <laughs> still have that. Or we should <laughs> have something to play it on, even.
1: <laughs> We're obsolete. I stopped, staring towards the
0: sound. It seemed as if that mighty desert of houses had found
1: a voice for its fear and solitude. Exciting note. Way <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Thank you for listening to us. Show thirty-three, a birthday special. Next time, we'll get back to reviewing films properly. And don't forget, as we've mentioned a few times before, there'll be show thirty-three and a third in a few days' time. Or we'll, we will be reviewing Dead Zone. I can't do a noise for that.
0: <laughs> Can
1: sh- you do a hairstyle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty
0: accurate. <laughs> but okay. in the meantime, if you do. Feel the urge to get in touch, as some people do via Please. email.
1: Yep, get in touch with us, Midnight Video at hotmail.co.uk. Follow us on Twitter at Midnight Video. Facebook's always a good one, even though we now Zuckerberg's done some peculiar thing that looks like a it's all. TV I area. actually, I'm actually using it. Really, I feel like an old person when I like the fact that
0: when video. I click on Midnight Video, I just see everything that's been going on. Like it's quite obvious. Like so and so has said this, so and so said that. But I don't know. But thanks, Phil and Lyndon, for offering alternatives.
1: Yep. And of course, our website where there'll be a bit of supplemental material, which is Midnight Dash Video dot
0: com. Um, yep. Yeah, film stills and
1: yeah, or uh, that's comic, pr- comic stills in this case. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll, we'll gather some material together. We'll
0: do because, something. Yeah. I pretty much. Um, I it's so easy to do stuff on Facebook nowadays. Even though it's hard to decide. But yeah, a lot it. of people don't like Zuckerberg. Yeah, a lot of people don't like the blog either because yeah. you know with the with Google now they're changing all the privacy laws. And stuff.
1: Oh. <laughs> anyway, thank you. We're about to blow out our birthday candles and stuff. <laughs> our faces full of uh, icing and wax. Rich <laughs> yeah. Any case, see you again next time, guys. Au revoir. Bye bye. <laughs>
0: Lord Hamlet, may I use your lavatory?